The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. I am so excited to share today's episode because the first FF fan member that came on the podcast resonated so much with all of you. And this one I think will as well because the story is truly remarkable. A, I feel so honored that we've created such an incredible community like the FF fam where members want to be on the show and have such amazing stories to share, but B, that they feel so willing to lay it all out there, be vulnerable, be open, and share their story in such a public manner. So today's episode is with FFM member Chelsea. We talk a lot about trigger warning, fertility struggles, infertility, and loss along the journey. And Yes, her story ends in a beautiful way. However, there are a lot of lows within the story and along her journey. So I do want to put that trigger warning out there for anyone who is maybe in this stage of their life and just simply does not want to consume content focused on this topic. I totally 110% respect and honor that decision. You have to prioritize yourself and your mental health. But I want a special shout out and thank you to Chelsea for coming on here, for being so vulnerable, and for sharing such a remarkably inspiring story. I also want to say thank you all for continuing to support me during my maternity leave. It means the world to me. The fact that you will ask how to best support me during this time blows my mind because you are truly the most supportive community to exist. So the best way is to continue to listen, to engage with the content, and to share the episodes, whether it be on your social media or just texting friends, asking them to listen. Hey, I think you'd enjoy this, etc. And of course, rate, review, subscribe, all of the good things. I appreciate you more than you know. I'm so excited because this is our second Freckles Beauty Family member that we've had on the show. And I said this with Michelle and I'll link Michelle's episode in the first episode or in the show notes where I was like, it's so funny. She reached out to me and I had just been thinking about this. And it's interesting timing with this one as well, because right when you reach out to me, I've been speaking with my producer, Allie, just trying to navigate the direction of the show, what we want to do, what's hitting what's not working, like what people are enjoying. And that episode with Michelle was like one of our top listened to episodes. And she's like, I think you should revisit having Freckle Foodie Family members on. And I was like, well, what do you know? We have one coming. <laughs> so I'm really excited to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I think this is just like the perfect platform to tell my story on because you are so real and so raw. And thank you. like, that's, that's what I need. And that's what I've been trying to, you know, to do in my small corner of the world. So... Well, thank you for reaching out and for being a part of the community. But I have about 10,000 questions for you because your story is very unique. Weirdly enough, I do have a friend that this happened to as well, but it was a five-month window. So it's a little different, but kind of similar. So I want to start off from like the beginning before we get into everything. Sure. What was your initial not reaction, but when did you initially start struggling with fertility that eventually led you to, do you say surrogacy or no? So gestational carrier? A lot, yeah. A lot of people say surrogacy. Technically a surrogate is someone who is using donated eggs and they're typically carrying like for a third party where a gestational carrier is more commonly used when it's like the biological child of mom and dad. 
So that's oh, okay. what our situation was. Like the the baby that our gestational carrier carried was biologically mine and my husband's. Got it. So that's kind of where the difference between like gestational carrier and surrogate. But most people are familiar with the term surrogate. So okay. that's what I use a lot because they know what I'm talking about. So when did you first find out, I guess, that you were going to have to use a gestational carrier? Like what did your fertility journey look like from the beginning? Yeah. So it all started the end of 2019. My husband and I decided that we wanted to start trying to have a baby. And I went off birth control and never got a period. So we got pregnant that first month. And I thought the hard part was over. And I was like, you know, I know so many people who have trouble getting pregnant. It takes like a year on average to get pregnant. And it happened right away for us. And I was like, great, that's awesome. You know, we were super excited. We told all of our family and our immediate, you know, our close friends really early on. And we're, you know, excited to kind of share that with them. And I was so naive at the time. Like I wasn't totally ignorant. I was, you know, Googling miscarriage rates for every week and like, okay, if you make it to this week, then, you know, the chance goes down to mm. this. And um, and I always thought that miscarriage was what you see on TV, which is like the woman with blood gushing out of her in the bathroom, realizing she lost the baby. So I was totally blindsided at eight weeks when we went for our ultrasound and they said there was no heartbeat because I really thought at that point, like I hadn't had, there was no indication that this wasn't going well. I was having pregnancy symptoms and yeah, they said, they said there was no heartbeat. They said, we think that you had what's called a missed miscarriage, which is when your body doesn't realize that the fetus is no longer developing and doesn't, you know, do what it should do naturally to kind of miscarry it. And they said, you know, let's obviously check and make sure and have you come back in a week. So when I went back and there was no change, you know, they brought us in and they were like, yeah, this is this is what happened. It's not a viable pregnancy. It's not progressing any further. And they gave us two options, either medication that would start like contractions for me to pass everything or to do a DNC, both super common and, you know, generally pretty safe and effective ways that people do all the time trying to avoid surgery. I chose to do the medication. Long story short, did two rounds of the medication and kept going back for ultrasounds and it was still there despite like horrible things coming out of me that I was, <laughs> I was sure. sure was it. So that was like very traumatizing in and of itself sure. to go through all of that and then have them be like, nope, there's still products of conception. So ultimately ended up needing a DNC. And at that point in time, it had been like a full month from when we realized that this pregnancy wasn't viable until the DNC happened. And so I think that is part of what contributed to what I experienced later on as well. So anyway, I did the DNC January 2020. And then, of course, March 2020, the world shut down and I hadn't gotten a period yet. And it, it didn't return after the DNC at all, like nothing at all. And so I you know, reached out to my doctor and it was so hard to get a hold of people at mm -hmm. this point in time. And, you know, they were not doing anything that was like, you know, not medically necessary, which fertility wasn't. So and, you know, was kind of brushed off by my regular OB. And she was like, you know, you, maybe you have an ovulatory dysfunction. I bet you're not ovulating. And that's why you're not getting a period, you know, because that's a super common thing. So then they would do blood work and they're like, oh, you're about to ovulate. You can try this month and then you can take test, you know, in two weeks did that a couple times and was still, you know, not getting pregnant and I'm not getting a period. Something's going on. So I actually started going on Google, which you shouldn't do, but I, but I did and found out about something called Asherman syndrome, which is a very rare thing that develops after a DNC or kind of any uterine trauma surgery that you develop scar tissue in your uterus. And as soon as I was reading about it and reading, you know, kind of the signs and symptoms, I was like, I just have a feeling that this is what's going on. And I even talked to my sister, who's a physician's assistant. She's like, that's really rare. I doubt that that's what this is. And so I ended up really kind of having to advocate for myself. And I reached out to a fertility clinic directly, which is something that a lot of people don't know that you can do. They think like you need your doctor to refer you. You need to have been trying for a year before you can see a fertility specialist. That's not true. You can call them and they'll take you. If you believe that there's something you know wrong that needs to be addressed, they will happily look into that. And so that's something I really try to advocate for too, is like, you know, be your own advocate and, and tell doctors what you need because they don't know what's best for you. One thing I was not prepared for when starting our toddler in school was the influx of germs that he was going to be exposed to and therefore bring home with him every day. Especially as a new mom, I am extremely diligent about trying to stay healthy right now, both mentally and physically. 
In order to support my immune health and give it some extra love, I'm heavily relying on my morning glass of AG1. If you're a longtime listener, you know that I've been drinking AG1 for over five years now. When I started drinking AG1 daily, I noticed I had increased energy first thing in the morning and that it helped with my digestion throughout the day. AG1 is a science-driven formulation of ingredients that includes adaptogens to help balance my body's stress response and elevate my baseline health. As a creature of habit, it is my absolute preferred method to start my day. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. When it comes to prioritizing my mental health as a new mom, my morning routine is vital. Someone once said that it's equivalent to starting your day on the offense versus the defense, and I've never heard truer words. For me, I need some me time that is quiet and calm before answering to everyone else's needs. And my morning glass of AG1 plays such a pivotal role in that window of time. It honestly does not need to be a huge production. If you have five minutes, that is enough. Simply scoop, mix, and enjoy wherever you prefer to start your day. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why they've been a partner for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash FFF. That's drinkag1.com slash FFF to check it out. The holiday season is officially here and I have the gift of the season for anyone on your list. One thing we are all in need of is better sleep. And one of my non-negotiables on how to get my best rest is going to be my gift of the season to give. Lissy's award-winning 100% Mulberry Silk Pillowcase. Lissy's Pillowcase is one of my new non-negotiables when it comes to sleep as it helps me stay cool throughout the night and wake up with hydrated skin and hair. Not only is it hypoallergenic so you can sleep more comfortably without the itching, but they are machine washable and even have a zipper to hold your pillow in place. If you are like me, you severely overheat and potentially sweat a lot in your sleep. I'm not afraid to admit that there have been nights where I have legitimately laid down towels in my bed in the past to soak up the sweat. Something that just like always frustrated me was having to constantly flip over my pillow to try and get the cooler slide. Thankfully, I no longer have to do that because blissy pillowcases stay cool all night and help with the hot flashes. Whether you're looking to up your sleep game or gift to someone else, the Blissy Silk Pillowcase could be your next purchase. Blissy Silk Pillowcases are the best silk pillowcases on the market. They have a ton of different prints and colors, and they make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone. Men love them too. They have over 1.5 million raving fans, and you could be next. Try now risk-free for 60 nights at blissy.com slash Cameron and get an additional 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash Cameron and use code Cameron to get an additional 30% off. Give yourself the gift of a good night's sleep with Blissey. So I went to a fertility doctor in July. So, you know, it had, it had been a long period of time now that we were just kind of hanging in the balance. And they did what's called a saline sonogram. So they put a catheter into your uterus and they put the ultrasound probe in. And they like flush saline in and you should see the uterus expand into this nice big like triangle shape. And mine, all the saline just came back out. And they were like, your, your uterus is scarred shut. Like there's no cavity in there where a pregnancy could implant. Wow. So that was, you know, that was a lot to, to deal with. And I had a really great fertility clinic and, and they sat down with me and kind of went through you know, what this meant and what they were going to do about it. And basically they said, we are going to try to go in surgically and remove that scar tissue. It's going to take multiple surgeries because you can't do it all at once because you're just going to, it's just going to reform. And they said, you probably have like a 50% chance that we can get your uterus back to the point where it might be able to accept a pregnancy, but there's about a 50% chance that you're not going to be able to carry a baby. Um, so I knew very early on that using a gestational carrier was a possibility. And we decided to start, you know, trying to chip away at that scar tissue and and see where we could get to. I had several surgeries throughout the next year. And they said, you know, the tubal ostia, the opening where your fallopian tubes come into your uterus was scarred closed. So they said, you won't be able to get pregnant naturally because there's no way for your eggs to descend and be fertilized and all of that. They said, you'll definitely need IVF. 
they were like, your uterus isn't ready yet, but let's, you know, do the egg retrieval and get your embryos so that we have them ready to go when we get to that point. So we went through, you know, the, the egg retrieval process and we got our embryos. And then after my fourth hysteroscopy, I believe it was. Is that when they're going in to try and get the scar yes, tissue out? Yes, that's when they're, they're, they're snipping away at the scar tissue. They said, okay, we think your uterus might be at the point where we could try a frozen embryo transfer. So we can try to, you know, pump you full of these hormones and thicken your uterine lining and get it ready to accept implantation. And then we'll put one of your embryos back in. Mm -hmm. And so we did that. That was January, 2021. I started medications and they obviously, you know, very closely monitor you with blood work and ultrasounds all throughout to kind of see how your body's responding to the medications. And while my uterine cavity was restored, my endometrium where the lining, where the embryo would implant wasn't thickening at all. And that layer of the uterus is also what you shed during a period. So basically they were thinking at that point, like, okay, we got the scar tissue out, but because it was so bad, it kind of suffocated this tissue. And now it's just dead tissue in your uterus and it's not going to be able to sustain a pregnancy. So that was, you know, that was devastating. We had done all of this stuff over a year and we still didn't know kind of where we were. And it was actually at that point in time, right after that first canceled cycle, one of my best friends reached out to me and she had known that, you know, they told me from the beginning that having a carrier was a possibility. And she reached out to me in January and she said, I talked to my doctor. I talked to my husband. If you get to a point where you think you need to go on to the next step and use a gestational carrier, let's talk. I am blown away by this friend and I have a lot of questions before yeah. we get to that. I want to first say I'm very sorry for your loss and you. everything that went into what you experienced. And I've had a few friends now who have experienced miscarriages and some ongoing fertility struggles and multiple friends who have experienced DNCs. And I, from being so close with them and hearing their journeys and experiences, I can see how difficult it is from an outsider's perspective. I can't even fathom being the person emotionally, like where were you so throughout this journey? It's it's such a roller coaster. I mean, the whole thing, like the whole last three years of my life were just such a mind fuck. Like it's the highest highs and the lowest lows and finding hope anywhere you can. So it was like, you know, obviously devastating to lose that first pregnancy. But I was like, this happens to a lot of people. It is mm. ridiculously common, which is shitty, but you know, we'll try again. And I, I truly, I went to my like post-op appointment with my OB after that DNC. And she said, call me when you're pregnant as if it would just be that easy, right. you know, just go home, try again, see you in a few months. So it was, you know, I, I was like, okay, that happened. That's really crappy, but let's move on. And then it was just kind of like whiplash with everything that kept, they kept hitting us. And then, you know, when it was, okay, we're going to do IVF, while that's hard to hear, I was excited because that was a possibility. You know, that was, okay, we might be able to have a baby even if we have to do this really difficult thing to get there. And then it was, you know, doing the egg retrieval and we got embryos and that's so exciting. And here we have, you know, these chances. And then the first cancel, the first cycle was canceled and it, they were saying like, this isn't looking good. So it, it was, yeah, it was just like a lot of back and forth and that was exhausting. And I, you know, ultimately like would have gone to the ends of the earth to have a child. And, and that was scary too. Like I was, there was no stopping me. And I, I think I just kind of was like eyes down, we're going to do whatever we have to do. Mm -hmm. And, and not even necessarily processing like how hard all of it was as we were going. Was there anything that you found you did, your husband did, your friends did, your family did that helped during these times? I know I've had an episode on this topic with Katrina Scott that I'll link. And she was saying like one of the biggest things is people just acknowledging that it fucking sucks. Yeah. Like this sucks. There's no getting around it. You don't want to hear like, oh, it'll happen when it's meant to happen. God's put any of that. Like it fucking sucks. Yeah. But were there other like tangible things for anyone listening who might be going through a similar experience, whether it be themselves, their partner, their friend, their sister, et cetera, that you found helped you? I mean, just really like leaning into it. I, I was very open with all of my family and friends about it. I did start, you know, an Instagram page and was 
finding other women who were going mm-hmm. through IVF and other women experiencing infertility and other couples, you know, working to build their family. And just like connecting with those other people was really wonderful for me. Community and, is so important. Yeah. And I started a blog, which was really like my form of journaling. You know, I was just kind of rambling and typing whatever I was feeling and being super candid about, you know, where I was and and what we were going through. And then opening up that door brought so many people to me and so mm-hmm. many people were reaching out and like, oh my gosh, I went through this too. Like, you know, and and then helping them right. really helped me because I was able to like talk to them about their experiences and just just bond over that, you know, like shared trauma. And that was huge for me. I think it's so important, no matter what you're going through in your life, whether it be fertility struggles, loss of a family member, a partner, whatever it might be, to find people who are going through something similar. Mm-hmm. And you can look at it on both ends of this, like both sides of this coin where you need people in your life who were going through fertility struggles. Similarly, for me in postpartum, I needed people in my life who were going through the thick of it, as you now can understand, yeah. of like, how the hell do you even manage this? What do you do? You just need people in a similar lived experience because no matter how hard one tries to relate with someone else and be there for someone, there are certain things in life that you can't fully comprehend until you've experienced it. And I know even for someone close in my life who's had serious struggles, I was able to connect her with someone because I could only be there so much without fully understanding. I was like, I really think this will help. And she called me after being like, that was so life-changing for me to be able to communicate with someone who has experienced this and understands my emotions and understands that I'm pissed that everyone on fucking Instagram is getting pregnant. Like, you know what it is? Yeah. It's just so important to have someone who can resonate with you. So your friend, her name is Brittany, correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. An angel sent from above from what I can see. (laughs) Absolutely. I just have a few questions. Like I'm personally invested in this story. (laughs) Does Brittany have children? She does. Yep. So she has three kids and they they had decided that they completed her family with her third. She had a tubal ligation and they they were done. And we'd been friends with them since before they had kids. So like we, you know, were there. How long have you known Brittany? I've known Brittany for 10 years. Okay. Because I've actually said this to my husband, like I've thought about this before even I heard your story of like, would I ever be a gestational carrier for someone? And there's no greater gift you can give. I really don't think there's a like more of a, I love you, I will do this for you statement. Right. And like, when it came down to it, I was like, okay, there are probably two people on this earth I would do it for my sisters. But to do it as an act of kindness for a friend is a true hero moment. Yes. What were your emotions when she offered this? I was sobbing. <laughs> I She like texted me because she knew that I wouldn't be able to like have a face-to-face yeah. conversation. So she sent me this long text and I was just sobbing and I just like gave my phone to my husband and I I couldn't even speak. I was just so blown away that she would even have this thought, you know, because a lot of people get to the point where they're looking for someone to carry a baby and they might put something out there like, hey, I'm looking for a mm-hmm. surrogate. And but like we hadn't even got there yet. We I had just had casual conversations with her as a friend about like we might have to do this. And the internet tells me it costs a hundred thousand dollars. And like, that's huge, you know? So it, it just absolutely blew my mind that she had already like talked to her OB, already talked to her husband and was like, I'm, I'm in it. I'm ready. You tell me when I, I can't even process it because like you, like, I like to think that I'd do that for someone, but I don't know. I mean, I wish I enjoyed pregnancy personally <laughs> so that I could right. offer that to someone. But I think, I mean, maybe who knows? Did she, does she even enjoy being pregnant? Because some people she she had she's very like, okay. easy pregnancies. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if she was like, I love being pregnant, but she just had easy pregnancies. And because I do know some people who are like, oh, I feel my best when I'm pregnant. I'm like, I fucking love that for you. Could yeah. not relate. <laughs> so maybe if I had that mentality, I'd be able or more willing. But right. I still think it is the truest act of kindness that you can offer someone. So. She offers, Mm -hmm. obviously, it's an emotional response for you, a lot to process. How much time goes by before you're like, let's do this? And the embryo was implanted. So it was January that she offered. That was after my first canceled cycle. February, we did another round of meds and they were monitoring my uterine lining again. Again, it didn't thicken. 
And they were like, listen, it didn't thicken, but it has the, you know, trilaminar effect. It looks like it's healthy tissue. It's just not a lot of it. So they're like, let's try and see what happens. And that was a whole another awful experience in and of itself. So I did the embryo transfer. Then you go in nine days later for blood work mm-hmm. to see if it worked. And you they're testing the hormone in your system that tells you if you're pregnant. They're looking for a number between 50 and 100. Anything over five is positive. So I had actually taken a home pregnancy test and it was negative. And I was like, okay, it didn't work. That sucks. They called me and they said, so you actually are pregnant. Your number was seven. Okay. And I was like, seven? What the fuck? Yeah. They're like, it's probably a chemical pregnancy. We'll test again and we'll see what happens. Well, the number kept growing and it was growing at the appropriate rate that it should be, but it was still super low. And they were like, this is really weird. We don't really understand what's going on. Let's bring you in for an ultrasound. So, you know, I went in for an ultrasound and they saw the empty gestational sac and they were like, okay, it might be a blighted ovum, which is a type of miscarriage where like things start developing and then don't continue. We'll check again in a week and see what happens. Went back a week later and there's a baby with a heartbeat. Wow. And so I went from thinking, you know, I had this negative pregnancy test. Didn't work. Okay, fine. Moving on to now like, oh, something's going on. That's weird. That's weird. We don't know. And then there was a baby. And and my doctor literally said to me, she's like, do you have any questions? I can't answer them, but do you have any? <laughs> she's like, I don't, I don't know why this is happening. Like, I don't understand it, this doesn't happen. We'll just keep watching and, and see what happens. Everything was really small, but a heartbeat is obviously like a huge sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rate, the chances of miscarriage decrease significantly after that. So while I was going back to like confirm this miscarriage, now I'm pregnant. And that was that was crazy. And I was excited, but I was scared because they didn't seem super optimistic. Right. Went back a week later and the heartbeat was gone. So I had another miss miscarriage that time. Didn't, you know, didn't pass anything naturally. So they did like a suction only DNC to try to prevent that scar tissue from coming back. And they were like, okay, with your next cycle, we'll try again. Again, didn't get a period. So turns out my scar tissue came back after that pregnancy. Oh my gosh. And that was really discouraging for them and for me, obviously. But they had felt all along that if I could get pregnant, if they could get an embryo to implant somewhere in my shitty uterus, <laughs> that the uterus would start to expand with the pregnancy and break up the rest of the scar tissue on its own. And that's not what happened. So when all the scar tissue came back, they were like, this isn't good. Like, right. Obviously, we're really fighting an uphill battle here. So then it took a few months of clearing that scar tissue again and, you know, being on hormones and trying to get back to, you know, an environment that we thought might accept an embryo. And I was exhausted. And so it was September and, you know, my first canceled cycle was in January. So we'd been through, you know, nine months of this up and down, up and down. And I said to my husband, I said, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I was like, I have one more in me. And then I think we need to talk to Brittany. Yeah. And I think it would have been a lot different if Brittany hadn't offered. I don't know that I would have necessarily gone to that route as quickly if I didn't kind of have that in my back pocket. Like I wasn't ready to just fully give up control and like go to an agency and find some random person, which I know is what a lot of people do. And, you know, there's incredible people out there willing to do that for strangers. But I just don't think I would have been like emotionally ready if it wasn't someone that I knew, someone that was like physically close to me in location. And Mm -hmm. so I I talked to Brittany before the transfer and I was like, if this doesn't work, we're going to have a conversation. And she was like, okay, sounds good. So we did what was only our second transfer, but had been, you know, over the course of a long time in September and it didn't work. None of the, you know, (laughs) up and down this time, it was just like, nope, negative, didn't work. So I I met with my doctor and I was like, I am ready to go on to the next step. I'm ready to talk about a gestational carrier. And she was like, yeah, I think that is a good idea. So then we started that process with Brittany, which is like a crazy process. And I had no idea how much went into that. Is it the same as if like you're doing an IVF since you already have the embryos? Is she basically preparing for like an IVF transfer as if she were doing it with her own? Yeah. So so medically, you know, a lot of it is the same. 
but we first had to go through like we had to get lawyers right the legal legal contract we had to myself my husband herself and her husband all had to have like fda physicals and we had to be like cleared by the fda because they treat it as as if i'm like giving her a kidney because it's like my biological matter being put into her body so we have to go through like all of these screenings for her to be able to have my embryo in her so we had to go through you know the medical clearance the legal clearance and then we had to have psyche valves she and her husband me and my husband and then the four of us together all like met with a psychiatrist to make sure that we knew what we were getting into with this and honestly so much of it was simplified by the fact that i did know her personally that made it a thousand times easier and like obviously we were talking throughout the whole thing whereas a lot of people you're going through an agency or you're just talking like through your lawyer so we'd be talking to our lawyer and she's like oh do you want me to you know talk to Britney's lawyer about this and I was like we're together right now like we're good (laughs) Mm -hmm. so that that made things a lot easier but it was still a process I mean it was there was a lot that went into it so September we started preparing and then like Throughout everything that we did, we didn't end up transferring until the following May. Wow. So like it took a long time to get all this, Mm -hmm. you know, in motion. So, and that's hard too. And that's the thing that sucks about IVF is like when you get to the point that you're like, okay, this is what we're doing. Let's do it. It's still such a long long wait. Everything Mm -hmm. is hurry up and wait. Everything is just you're living like month to month and cycle to cycle and, and time passes so quickly you don't even realize and that's, that's actually one of the things that I like remember writing a blog about was like people say like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you keep going. And and I see people, you know, on Instagram who've been trying for like 10 years to have a baby and people are like, how do you do that? But you honestly, you don't even realize. You don't realize that it's even been that long because you're just, you're living cycle to cycle. And then all of a sudden it's been two years and you're, you, you have no idea what happened, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, we started, you know, that process and actually ended up doing another egg retrieval to get more embryos because they wanted to really have like the best ones right. to transfer into her to give it to the best chance. And then, you know, she had to do the medical clearance with the fertility clinic. And then she had to go through like mock cycles where they would make sure that her body was responding to the medication. And then she had to go through cycles where she was on injection so that she wouldn't ovulate so they could make sure that if she got pregnant, it wasn't her baby. Oh. And so, you know, she and her husband are like signing contracts that they're not going to have sex. <laughs> it's wild. I was like, thank you guys so much. <laughs> More sacrifices by Brittany. <laughs> right, right. So, so yeah. So then in May, we transferred one embryo into her and it stuck. And we are incredibly lucky that it worked on the first time. I was really, really anxious leading up to that transfer because after, you know, all that excitement and I really was excited. It was a grieving process for sure because I wanted, I wanted a baby. Ultimately, that's what I wanted. I wanted to grow my family. But obviously you envision yourself being pregnant. You envision yourself carrying your own child. Like this is not how I thought I was going to build my family. Um, And so it, it was a lot to deal with because I was excited to have a baby, but also like it doesn't feel natural, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was really anxious leading up to the transfer because it hit me that like, if this doesn't work, that sucks for her. You know, like I'm obviously going to be devastated, but I've been through that. I, not that I signed up for this, but like, this is my journey, you know? And now she volunteered to carry my baby. She didn't volunteer to have a miscarriage or to not have the transfer work. Like all those things that I had experienced that could go wrong I was like, I am going to feel so horrible if I put her through something like that. Mm-hmm. And that that was difficult for me leading up to it for sure. But she was wonderful. She has a really strong faith. And she was just, you know, just calling on God for it and was like, whatever happens, happens. I, I believe you guys are meant to be parents. And like, we're going to we're going to get through this no matter what, no matter what. So, yeah. So the first the first one stuck and we were just over the moon so excited obviously you know all of our friends and family at this point like knew to the day when we were finding out so we told all of them early on and and we went through you know the early appointments and everything was looking good and and that just continued and that was wonderful as someone who is primarily gluten-free the thing i miss the most without fail hands down are delicious baked 
goods. In my opinion, just so many of the gluten-free options just don't cut it. And I know people get like really excited when they're at a store or a coffee shop or whatever, and you see, oh, it's labeled gluten-free. Like, yay, I finally get to enjoy something also. But then it just kind of stinks. And I get the initial reaction of hope, but majority of the time, it just feels like such a letdown. Thanks to Stellar Eats, that is not the case. And I can finally enjoy some delicious gluten-free baked goods. Stellar Eats are grain-free baking mixes made with eight or less real ingredients like almonds, coconut, and dates. They have options like mixes for carrot cake, which is my personal favorite, banana bread, which no one can ever turn down, coffee cake, and more that are gluten-free and naturally sweetened with coconut and date sugars. They're truly so delicious and mixes that will not have you missing out on the party if you're unable to tolerate gluten like me. This maternity leave, I've been trying to find ways to spend some quality time alone with our toddler so that he also just feels the love and something we enjoy doing is baking together. However, I don't have a baking bone in my body, so I personally heavily rely on these mixes. Stellar Eats makes everything that much easier and he is a huge fan of all their mixes, but especially to no surprise, the banana bread. Visit StellarEats.com and use code Cameron at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. That's S-T-E-L-L-A-R-E-A-T-S.com. Use code Cameron for 20% off your first order. Stellar Eats is also available at Whole Foods stores nationwide. The holiday season is here. And if you're like me, you are already starting or honestly finishing your shopping. I'm someone that loves to get as much of the buying done as early as possible so that there is not a last minute scramble to get anything delivered and wrapped and ready to gift. Luckily for us, Osea is here to help take the guesswork out of gift giving with their super glow body set. This limited edition box set features three of Osea's best selling body care products, a full size Andaria algae body oil, Andaria cleansing, body polish and a travel size Andaria algae body butter. I've been a fan of Osea's for a long time now, and I absolutely love all of their products, but especially those for the body. Everything they make is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. You better believe that anywhere I'm going this winter, I have my travel size Andaria algae body butter packed with me. This next level body butter infuses high performance ingredients to address all signs of aging and keeps my skin so hydrated. The Super Glow Body Set is a perfect way to try three of Osea's best selling products at an incredible value. Also, one of the biggest added bonuses, which is huge for someone like me who's still in postpartum and just trying to navigate the 10,000 things that need to get done, is that the box is so beautifully packaged, you can skip gift wrapping. It is truly the perfect gift for anyone on your list, including yourself. Give the gift of glow this holiday season with clean vegan skincare from Osea. And right now we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code Cameron at oseamalibu.com. Head to oseamalibu.com and use code Cameron for 10% off. So a lot of my questions, I think, would differ had the next step not happened. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm like so curious what it would feel like emotionally to have a gestational carrier and the experience of being forced to give up an aspect of control because mm -hmm. you are not with that person and you were probably with her way more like way more than most people would be with right. a surrogate or other gestational carrier that they don't know. Yeah. And so I can imagine there being a huge sense of you have to give up the control, a lot of trust, just tons of emotions. Mm -hmm. Then your story takes a wild turn. Yes, it does. Because then you get pregnant on your own. Yes. So how the fuck <laughs> does this happen? So I truly, like they had told me I had a less than 1% chance of ever conceiving naturally. They were like, your tubes are scarred shut. Like, right. nothing's coming in or out. And they actually told me when we started IVF, they were like, IVF is the safest route because you're at a high risk for an ectopic pregnancy mm -hmm. where the pregnancy implants in your fallopian tube. That can be a medical emergency, right. you know. And so I just like totally had written this possibility off completely. So when we kind of, you know, gave up on, on that route and we moved forward with Brittany and she got pregnant and that's great. Like we, I wasn't on birth control. We, why, right. why you have a pregnant? goalie if you can't get yeah. pregnant? So I don't even know. It was just like this weird intuition thing. We were going away for the week of July 4th. It was actually like this week last year. 
And so we were going out of town for the week of July 4th. We go to my parents' place up in upstate New York and like go on the boat and drink all week. And I was like, I wonder if I'm pregnant. But what, like, did you I, have a symptom or you, I mean, I, look, had, I, I totally understand. I woke up in the middle of the night and I literally said, I've just got pregnant. Yeah. Like I knew the second the egg fertilized. Yeah. I literally woke up. I have a text to my best friend at three in the morning that says, I am pregnant in two weeks when I get this positive pregnancy test, it will be proof that I'm not a psycho, but I know that my egg just fertilized and we weren't trying. Yeah. We just like. I decided to let him finish me one time. Like, and I was like, yeah, whatever. We're good here. Not being good at all. Yeah. (laughs) So I understand, but like, given the circumstances, I'm shocked that your body, any part of your brain was like, I'm pregnant. Yeah. So the thing for me was my sense of smell was super heightened. Yep. All of a sudden things were disgusting to me. Everything smelled really gross. That was my confirmation as well. Like I had been pregnant twice at this point, Mm -hmm. you know, so I kind of knew that that was what my body did. And that's the very first time I got pregnant. That's how I knew too. I was like at work and I was like, oh my God, I'm gagging at just like normal smells. It's me with Charlie. That's how I knew both times. Yeah. I was like, oh, he needs grooming (laughs) so badly. And Joe's like, he really doesn't. I was like, I'm pregnant. So, and at that point, like I was, you know, tracking in the flow app, just I don't even know why, but, but what were you even tracking? Like, were you, did you have a period at this point? So at this point, my period had returned. Okay. It, okay. it wasn't like very heavy, but mm-hmm. like I was getting a period. So I was tracking and my period was literally two days late, which is not abnormal for anyone. And especially right. not for me who like wasn't super regular. Anyway, my period was two days late. We were leaving for vacation and everything smelled disgusting. And I was like, I'm just going to take a pregnancy test just so I know that I'm not pregnant. So like, I don't have to worry when I'm drinking. My husband literally said, he's like, that's a waste of money to take a pregnancy test, but okay, Chelsea. And I went upstairs and it was positive. And I came down, I was like, it's positive. What was even going through your brain? I was like vibrating. I was shaking so much. And obviously I was terrified because I knew I was high risk for ectopic. So I was like, that's probably what this is. But also in the back of my mind, I was like, holy shit, am I pregnant? And I literally said to my husband, I said, what are we going to do? <laughs> I was like, no, for real. Uh, I signed up for one. <laughs> yeah. And then I was panicking because I'm like, oh, my God, if it is ectopic, like I shouldn't leave and go on vacation. Like what mm-hmm. if I have to go to the hospital? So then I'm like literally calling everyone. I called my sister who's a PA and I called my like PCP and my OB and my fertility doctor. And I was like leaving messages with everyone. I was like, what am I supposed to do right now? Because I don't I don't understand what's happening. So ultimately they were like, you know, if it is ectopic, it's too early for us to see anything. Like just go on vacation and we'll bring you in when you get back. So I went on vacation and obviously told my whole family. I got there and told my mom and she was just laughing hysterically. (laughs) She was like, I'm sorry I'm laughing at you, but I don't know how to process this. I was like, yeah, me either. (laughs) I don't know what's happening. Right. And I called and told Brittany and she said, shut up. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I honestly, I felt so bad. I was like, mm. I made this woman carry my baby because I couldn't get pregnant. And now I'm pregnant and now I'm just making her carry a baby. But in your head, are you thinking like what percentage, I know it's hard to break down, but what percentage are you thinking like this is actually going to end in me delivering a child and this is going to somehow be an unfortunate another yeah. situation? It was probably like 70% of me th- thought this wasn't going to work out. And 30% of me was like, what if it freaking does? Okay. But I was also like oscillating between like those emotions, right? Of feeling like, oh, this is so shitty. And I'm going to have to deal with this when I get home. And like, and then just kind of picturing like what would happen if it did progress and what would happen if this did work out? Also just want to say like, and I've said this with friends who have miscarried at different periods of pregnancies time-wise. I do think no matter what, when you see that positive test, there is a part of you that instantaneously is envisioning the end result. And that's why no matter when you miscarry, there is that spark in you that's like, this is happening. Right. And you envision something that is then sometimes unfortunately stripped away from you. Yeah. And so I can understand why even after being told countless times, and you have the evidence on that 70% side of your brain, there's still the part of you that's like, holy shit, this could be it. Right, right. 
Yeah, because you you see the positive test and you suddenly envision like the whole rest of your life laid out. Right. Right. So like I always said, you know, losing a baby even at eight weeks, like when it's so early, even then it's you're losing those opportunities for your future mm-hmm. and you're you're losing out on the chance to do this and you're you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be pregnant at Christmas. And that's going to be so cute. Right, you like, immediately start the yes, planning. Yeah. And so, you know, having all of that taken away from you is horrific at any point in time. But yeah, so, you know, I got back from, from our vacation and I went for blood work and I went to my OB and she was actually really shitty to me. I'm sorry. I ended up leaving that practice after that appointment. Can I, what? happened if I so, if you're willing to share. Yeah. So I went to my OB who I'd been, you know, with for years for like my regular GYN care. And I had an ultrasound and everything looked the way that it should. There was a fetus and there was a heartbeat. And you know, you think, okay, that's great news. The pregnancy's in my uterus. It's not an ectopic pregnancy. And I am excited. And you know, the ultrasound tech does the the scan and then you talk to the doctor. Right. So during the ultrasound, I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. And of course, you know, I knew any variety of things could happen after that point. But mm-hmm. for now, today, this is good news. And she said, well, you know, the area around the baby, I usually like to see like a big white ring, which whatever that means, I don't know, healthy tissue or something. And you don't have that. She said, so we're going to take your progesterone level. And if it's not above this certain point, then you don't need to come back. You can just stay home and wait to miscarry. Wow. And knowing everything that I had been through up until that point, right? it was devastating to me that she couldn't take one minute to share in like, holy cow, this is amazing. I can't believe this happened. Right. This like is... no matter what happens at this point in time, right. this is fantastic. But it was just straight to the negative. You don't even need to come back. And then she's like, if you would feel better, you can come back next week and we can check. And I was like, yeah, I think I'd feel better if we just right uh, to see what's going on. Especially because you hadn't miscarried. Right. And like your body hadn't expelled any of the past. Pre- right. Pregnant miscarriages. I don't know the terminology. Yeah. So like, how would you have even known? Yeah. So she, it was it was really weird. And I left that appointment feeling so angry because I was like, I should be so excited right now mm-hmm. that this happened and that I have a healthy baby as of now growing inside my uterus. But instead, she made me feel like there's no way this is going to work out. And like, I get that, you know, maybe the odds weren't in my favor, but just not taking any time to acknowledge, like, even like medically speaking, you know what I mean? Like, even not being like, wow, that's fucking Fucking crazy. crazy. (laughs) Like, holy cow, good for you. (laughs) So that was really shitty. And so I did end up leaving and going to another practice and my progesterone levels were fine and everything was fine. And... I ended up having a relatively healthy pregnancy from that point on. Did they, like, have you ever, I know there's probably not even an answer. Have they ever figured out how the hell this was even possible? No, no. So I ended up actually going back to my fertility clinic because I was switching OBs and like I couldn't get in as a new patient for a while. And so I called my fertility doctor who I like became, you know, very close with. Like, she's so wonderful. I called her and I was like, listen, she knew that I had gotten the positive pregnancy test. And I was like, things look good so far. I can't get into an OB until I'm whatever, however many weeks. I was like, I don't want to wait that long to like check in on things. Mm-hmm. Can I come in for an ultrasound? So they brought me in a few times at the fertility clinic and they were blown away. They were like this. They were like, obviously this happens to people, but you were not someone we thought this was going to happen to. Right. Like we saw what it was like in there and it wasn't good. So I don't know how this happened. And has, did the scar tissue throughout the pregnancy, I guess, does, I don't know what happens. Does all yeah, something? So they didn't on any of the ultrasounds, I guess they would still see like bands of scar tissue if I had it and they didn't. So, and, and I don't know, you know, like we, the last time I had been on medication was December and then I got pregnant like in June. So, you know, it had been six months since I had had any kind of interventions and maybe my body was just like starting to naturally heal itself. And it's actually kind of ironic because there were times during the whole process of IVF and everything that people recommend like taking breaks, right? And like resetting and letting your hormones regulate. And like that was time I just wasn't willing to give up. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here for six months and do nothing 
and now I'm, you know, that much further from having a baby. So it was, it was kind of ironic that then like obviously having a gestational carrier, we stopped everything with me and my body, I guess, did end up taking that time to, you know, to kind of repair things on its own. So that was wild. So where are you at mentally week like 12, 13, where now you've gotten all of the necessary tests Mm -hmm. that you need. There's still a heartbeat. It's still a healthy pregnancy. And simultaneously, Brittany, the gestational carrier is carrying a child five weeks. What's the difference? So we were actually, we were actually like two months apart. Okay. But she had a scheduled C-section at 38 weeks. And then I spontaneously went into labor at 36 weeks. So the babies ended up being thir- five weeks apart. Okay. They sh- should have been a little been, further apart. Okay. But where the hell are you mentally? <laughs> I don't even know. I, first of all, I was like all in, right? I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. We're going to have two babies. Two for one package. It's going to be wild. <laughs> Our lives are going to be crazy. But like, this is what I wanted, right? Like yeah. I wanted to build a family and we're doing it. And the other part of me was like, you would think that all those, you know, emotional things that I was going through when I gave up being able to carry my own baby would now be gone, but they weren't gone. Well, like they that's were still what there. I was also wondering. Because now I'm like carrying this baby and feeling bad that I'm not carrying the other one mm-hmm. and that I'm missing out on that part of that baby's development. And it was just kind of a weird space to be in, you know? And I mean, it was really fun to be pregnant with Brittany and to go through, you know, everything week by week together and she had a lot easier time than I did, but good for her. Um, well, that's why. Now you know, see? Some people yeah. are willing to do this. She was like, I feel great. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure mentally, I know it fucking sucks to have shitty pregnancy symptoms, but I feel like mentally you probably would have preferred them happening to you. Oh, for sure. Than her. Yes. Just oh like God. had the... Had they been swapped where you're like living it up, feeling great and gorgeous, beautiful, and she's like hunkered over a toilet. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. And and even my symptoms that I was experiencing, like they weren't that bad. I was just super nauseous, tired. And you don't have that. to diminish that. It's not easy. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people have it a lot worse, I know. Yeah, but, but someone's always going to have it worse. That's true. But at the same time, I was like, felt so grateful that I got to experience that, yeah. you know, and, and was like, wow, this sucks. And I'm so lucky that I, that I get to do this because I didn't think I was going to. And then another thing I'm curious about when Brittany goes into late, has the C-section, mm-hmm. the baby's the liver. You're now like, it's such a short amount of period that I'd have different questions for someone in a different situation of like, what was that postpartum experience like for you experiencing postpartum? having not had the physical symptoms of pregnancy and delivery and all of that and those hormones. But now you're like rocked with hormones. You're on the complete other side of the spectrum where you're going through postpartum while also at the end of a pregnancy, which is a fucking mind shit show of its own. Yeah. What was your brain looking like? Um, So I ended up in the hospital. Okay. I'm very (laughs) sorry. That kind of tells you (laughs) where I was at. I was flying high and was, you know, running on adrenaline. I got to be in the room when she had the C-section. Wow. It was incredible and, you know, just the coolest experience ever to, like, watch my first baby come into the world like that. And then we got home and I I was. I was just running on adrenaline and forgetting to take care of myself and forgetting that I was seven months pregnant. Right. And would usually be like napping all day, you know, and now I have a newborn at home and I'm waking up multiple times a night and he's sleeping in the bassinet next to the bed and he's so noisy and I'm looking at him all the time. Um, You straight up don't sleep during that phase. Right. And it's like the number one thing you need during the phase of life you're in. Yes. Yeah. So there was, there was one night I remember I had like gotten up, you know, multiple times and my husband and I took shifts and you know, I wasn't breastfeeding, which made it so much easier because we could split things more evenly. And one night I was like, you need to get him because I physically can't get out of bed. <laughs> I was like, I have like stood up too many times. I can't move my body anymore. So it was once that adrenaline started to wear off, mm-hmm. I was like totally crashing. And I ended up getting really sick. I was feeling really crummy. And I had been my, my pregnancy was high risk because of my history. Right. So I was followed really closely by a maternal fetal medicine doctor and my regular OB throughout the pregnancy. So then especially like in the third trimester, I was seen pretty frequently 
for ultrasounds and they started like the non-stress tests pretty early. So I went to the doctor and I was like, I just haven't been feeling well. Like my stomach is off. I'm, I'm exhausted, but like I have a newborn, so it could Mm -hmm. be that. And they were like, you're having contractions. Oh, wow. So I went to the hospital and they told me I was going to like be there for monitoring. And then they were like, your contractions are every three minutes. And, and I had no idea. How many weeks pregnant are you now? I was 32 weeks Holy pregnant. shit. Okay. And I, I was like, I'm having contractions? I was like, I literally didn't know. And then, then I felt like I was like a warrior. I was like, wow. Right. <laughs> Look at me. Like, I'm oh a my badass. God. I just been walking around taking yeah. care of this baby. So, so yeah. So I ended up being in the hospital for four days. And everything was like very touch and go. The baby's heart rate kept dropping. I was having these contractions. I was too late to be on medication to like stop the contractions. And I had already done that in December when I was in the hospital then. And they were like preparing, you know, they were like, you're not leaving here without a baby. They're like, we don't know how long you're going to be here, but like, you're not going to be able to leave. And they were like preparing for an emergency C-section because his heart rate kept dropping. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden things just resolved. I stopped having contractions. I wasn't dilated. His heart rate stabilized. And they were like, we don't know what that was. You are some type of like walking <laughs> medical miracle anomaly. Honestly, every single time someone said like, this won't happen or this will happen. Like my body has done the opposite. So did you end up leaving the hospital without the baby? Sure did. Okay. So now I I don't even know where to go. You eventually go into labor. Yes. <laughs> you have the child. Yep. Are they both the same they're sex? They're both boys. Yep. Okay. And they're born five weeks apart. Mm-hmm. I cannot fathom because here's the thing. Postpartum is in and of itself a wild ride. Then you throw two or I don't know how people have triplets, quadruplets, whatever. That whole thing is crazy. Yeah. But I almost think it makes it more difficult. Five weeks is a little closer. The friend who I mentioned who this happened to is I think a five month difference. And that to me, I'm like your schedule, like are you just constantly feeding and napping? Is yeah. there ever when they're on the same? Like, what was that postpartum experience like for you? Because now you're also experiencing the physical aspect of right, it all. Right. So luckily, like physically, I had a, a pretty easy recovery. Like birth was okay. not, did not destroy me too bad. So I like physically was able to get back into things. My mom stayed with us for a few days, which was wonderful because she just kind of like took over everything for my older son. Well, we yeah. kind of like got to know the baby. Right. Mm-hmm. But then she left and I cried for like two days straight yep. because first of all it's terrifying to like have so this scary. new human that you have to take care of but I also was like oh my god I haven't spent any time right with my firstborn because I've been so focused on this baby and now I'm like feeling so guilty and I kept saying to my husband I, I'd be I cried like every day for at least a month I'm sure but I was like he's just a baby and like I can't do everything for him and for this one mm-hmm. and I can't do I can't give them what they both need And I could, but I didn't feel like I could, you know. And so I felt guilty for bringing another baby into the house when I had a five-week-old who still needed, obviously, you know, a ton of attention. And that made bonding with my second difficult because I I felt like I needed to be more intentional about spending time with the first. And it was just – it was really hard. It really was. Like, I can't even – necessarily explain what that experience was like. I mean, it was obviously exhausting and, you know, all the typical like newborn stuff, but having them that close in age, I just like, I just felt bad. I, I really did. Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't until it wasn't for a couple months that I started seeing like the positives of having two that close together. And they're still not on the same schedule. Five weeks is not close enough. Not to, close enough with, to make with it that age. Yeah. Eventually it um, will be. But yeah. right. How old are they at the time of this recording? So four months and five months. Right. You're That is hugely different yeah. Yeah. in that span of their lives. Right. Right. There's so many changes that happen like week to it's week. It's a quarter of point. one of their lives. Mm-hmm. How has it been emotionally? I know what you just said in the beginning, but navigating this experience thus far, which I'm sure will be ever changing potentially. Yeah of like, are there any, I would imagine there are emotions to work through of, or just that come up of having carried one, having not carried the, like, what does that look like? And if it's too personal, you don't have to go there. No. Yeah. So honestly, initially I expected the opposite to happen to me. That's I kind of what I thought it be too. Di- I expected it to be difficult 
to bond with the child that I hadn't carried. Mm -hmm. And I actually had talked to someone on Instagram who was like in a similar situation that she was doing IVF and using a carrier at the same time and ended up having two close together. But she gave birth to her child that she was carrying first. Okay. And so she said that she had a hard time bonding with the second baby because Mm -hmm. she knew what it was like to give birth and have that baby. Right. So I thought, like I bonded, I thought really well with my firstborn and, and that wasn't difficult because I didn't know any different, right? But then I thought also that that bond would come supernaturally to the baby mm-hmm. that I was carrying. But because I kind of had this guilt, it didn't come as naturally. And so then it was almost like like a reversal that I was feeling bad that I carried this baby that I wasn't supposed to be able to carry and who you know shouldn't have come into this world the way that he did. And I had this other baby that I like hoped and prayed so much for. And now I was having to take my time and energy away from mm-hmm. him for his brother. And I ended up developing like really bad postpartum anxiety, which I, you know, you hear so much about postpartum depression. I didn't realize that postpartum anxiety was its own thing. And I was already on anxiety medication at that point, but, and I had been for years, but I called my doctor and I was like, I think I need to like increase my meds because I just was getting so anxious, like before bedtime, because I would think about how much I wasn't going to sleep. Yeah, And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to sleep at all. And I'm going to be so exhausted. And I have to do all this again tomorrow. And they're going to die in the night. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, that anxiety was just like eating away at me. I um, resonate with it deeply. And I I felt a lot better after, you know, getting on a higher dose of medication and and kind of stabilizing. But it definitely, like I said, I, I truly cried every day for at least mm-hmm. a month. And it would be like happy tears, sad tears. Like I was just so dysregulated from the hormones and it was I mean, a I lot to process. Cannot fathom. It was, yeah. you know, your whole life changes when you have a baby and when you have two, you don't even remember what your life was like. <laughs> and the process of which you can't like right. went through to get to. I'm also I just can't let go of this whole Britney situation. What like she's what, the real star of the show. What honestly. has no but what <laughs> no, has I that mean, been she's... like postpartum now? And like, how did you navigate that in conversation leading into this of obviously if she's one of your closest friends, she's going to be around this child. Like, Mm -hmm. is there a plan of telling, you know what I mean? Like, how how are you navigating that? Yeah. So, you know, and I really wanted to do what I could do to support her postpartum because that's a whole nother side of the coin. Mm -hmm. Like for her to have that postpartum hormone shift and not have a baby. Right. I was like worried about her you know, going home without a baby, like that's traumatizing, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. And your body doesn't know what the hell's going on. So I really tried to like support her in those early days. And I was like, do you want me to bring him over? Like you can spend as much time with this baby as you need to for your body to like Mm -hmm. feel okay. But she she said that she felt great because she went home and slept. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's the main difference. She's like going home without a baby. I mean, she still has three kids though. So like how, yeah. yeah. But, you know, her husband had a great job or has a great job that gave him like two weeks off to care okay. for her because she had had a C-section. So that was nice. And but, yeah, she was just such a champ about it. She was like, I feel great. I'm good. Okay, <laughs> and Brittany she's like gets cooking a me meals. I was like, what are you doing? So, yeah, she, you know, she she was wonderful. But she's obviously continued to be a part of, mm-hmm. of both of our kids' lives. And we plan on, you know, our kids will call her Aunt Brittany and as her kids call me Aunt Chelsea. Yeah. We plan on telling our oldest, JJ, we plan on telling him whenever, you know, he's at a point where he can understand that, mm-hmm. you know, you were in Aunt Brittany's belly and Leah was in mommy's belly. And, yep. you know, obviously, like, as they get older, explaining more about why and and how that kind of happened, because I want them to know and I want them to realize, like, how much we wanted them and how totally. hard we worked to get them into this world. Absolutely. Being so close in age and being both your embryo or your egg and your husband's sperm, do they look a lot alike? They do. Yeah. A lot of people can't tell them apart, which I don't, I don't think they look that much alike, but a lot of people have a hard time telling them apart. And there's still a pretty big size difference at this point, especially because Leo was a preemie. Mm -hmm. So there's like, like two or three pounds and three inches difference. Which is big at that point. Right. But they do have a lot of similarities. They do. But now, you know, that they're getting older, I'm starting to see like how their personalities differ, which is super fun. And like they, you know, acknowledge each other's presence now. Right. Like coo back and forth at each other, which is just so cool. And and that has really helped my anxiety as well, because Mm -hmm. now it's like we're finally kind of 
being able to breathe after that postpartum, you know, area. And, and now we're just getting to experience like these boys that get to grow up together. And how cool is that? I mean, talk about a built in best friend. Yeah. I feel like we're going to have to have you back on in like three, four years (laughs) because I'm constantly curious about nature versus nurture. Yeah. And this is like the truest form of like what, how things develop, you know, I'll get all these questions on like, how do you get Liam to eat this way? Or how does he, I'm like, okay, sure. I do things, but also so much of it is just the luck of the fucking draw, how he was born, what he's like as a human. Like I, I really will never take full credit for any accomplishment of his because so much of it is similarly nature, nature, right? How he's born, whatever. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story yeah, and for you. being so honest with it all. It's truly remarkable and like mind blowing. Yeah. And I feel like I'm now going to text you. Th- I'm just going <laughs> to keep coming up with questions and Please check do. in. I honestly love talking about it. Like I could talk for days. I should just have my own podcast. You should. And I just talk to myself all the time because I love telling my story and I, I love that it's a happy ending, but I also love telling how we got here. You know? Absolutely. And it's so important. We were interviewed on the news and the news segment when it was cut and you know edited was very much like how amazing this miracle right. happened and here are these babies and i was like yeah but i kind of wish they talked about like how shitty life was mm-hmm. and how hard it was to get there and how common infertility is and how much we don't know about our own body and what right. happens and so like i feel like i will never stop sharing that side of the story and we go out now and people ask if they're twins i'm sure and i say no and I tell them, you know, obviously an abbreviated version, but I would tell them with, oh, we had Sit trouble. down, how long do you have? <laughs> yeah. We had trouble getting pregnant and we did IVF and it didn't, or, you know, mm-hmm. because I want people to know that like, that's common. That's something we can talk about. And mm-hmm. so I try to kind of open that door. And like I said, once you open that, a lot of people are, are willing to open up as well. Absolutely. For people who are listening, who just want more of your story, your experience, your journey as this continues is there a place they can support you? Yeah. So I have a website where my blog is expectinghappiness.com. Um, or you can follow me on Instagram at expecting underscore happiness. Everything will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for being a part of the Freckle Food family and for coming on here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. I have so much fun recording the show. It is my favorite part of my job and truly is what lights me up. Your feedback and response to every episode is what keeps me going. And if this episode resonated with you, please feel free to DM me over on Instagram or share on your stories. If you are looking for a way to support the show, please rate and or review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It means the world to me and it really helps the show grow. Please also make sure to hit subscribe so that you are up to date with new episodes coming at you every Wednesday morning. And of course, please be sure to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at at Cameron Oaks Rogers. I love you and I appreciate your support so much. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.